We're going to read from the Bible now, and the first passage is from Proverbs chapter 11, starting at verse 1, and that can be found on page 550 in your Bibles. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favour with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. The righteous person is rescued from trouble and it falls on the wicked instead. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisers. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. Our second reading is taken from the book of Titus. And you will find that on page 1030 of the Church Bibles. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. The saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be 
sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know about your week, but I had a great week. Going along, really good, a whole bunch of things happened. And then all of a sudden I get a text message. It changed everything. It went like this. The Department of Australian Tax Office has temporarily banned your profile. Click here to resolve immediately. It's all right, it was a quick click and I just had to confirm my bank details and my PIN and it's all good. No. I'm amazed at how many scam text messages I'm getting. Put your hand up if you've received one in the last year or so. Oh, we're all in the same boat, great. Australia Post wants to send you something. Just send them $5, make sure it gets to you. Your bank's been hacked. You've won a $1,000 gift card. An Ethiopian prince wants to offload millions to you, right? All sorts of things. The worst, I think, is the one that's sent to a mum. Mum, I've lost my phone. I'm using a friend's. Can you send me a couple hundred bucks? I'm in need. I'm in help. There are so many text messages going around that seem good at first, seem for your good at first, but are not. And we need to be more discerning than ever. The Apostle Paul never received a single text message scam in his life, right? For obvious reasons. But he knew that not every message that came his way was neutral was good for himself or for God's people. You know, when Satan slithered his way into the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, what did he bring to Adam and Eve to tempt them away from God? It wasn't a wad of cash. It wasn't a gun. It wasn't a stack of porn magazines. You know what it was? It was a message. Did God really say? You surely won't die. In other words, are you sure God is for you? I don't think you can trust him. You need to trust yourself. That was the first scam message, the first fake news, or as the Bible calls it, the first false teaching that ever existed. And it sounded spiritual, it sounded good, but it had devastating effects in terms of the whole world. As we continue our series on Titus, From Grace Flows Goodness, we're going to see a warning that God has for us, particularly Christians, that when you go on your Christian journey, not everything that comes your way is good. There's going to be a whole bunch of misinformation about God, the gospel, and this world, and we need to be discerning about whether we take it on board or not, because it will hinder our spiritual growth. So we're going to look at three things. Firstly, it's more common than you think. Then we're going to look at why is it everywhere and the solution that comes with it. And then we're going to end with six things to help you be more discerning in your Christian walk. Sound good? Let's start with the first one. It's more common than you think. If you close your Bibles, grab it open, grab it and open up. Titus chapter 1, page 1030. It says this, verse 10. We're going to focus on verse 10 to the end of the chapter. 
kicks off with this. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, you notice that word, many. There are many. Not just a couple, there are many. And it's important because we think, oh, it's 2023, sort of secular society, I'm very educated, went to the University of Sydney, I'll be able to, I'll be about. No, no, no. There are many. The question is, the issue is not, have you ever heard the voice of the false teachers? You probably have on a daily basis. The question is, are you discerning to know what is true and what is false? Because there are many, and they are full of meaningless talk. It's like fairy floss. It looks good, but there ain't no substance, no ultimate benefit. There's deception, sort of lies, that are neatly, nicely packaged, that look good on the outside. And Paul here identifies two types of false teaching that was happening in Crete. The first is verse 10. Those of the circumcision group. Now, this is an interesting group, isn't it? Obviously, know what they're for or what they're not for, right? You'll get that on the way home. Anyway, um, but it's interesting. Why would a circumcision group be appealing? Why would be people going with that? This is a non-Christian Jewish group, right? They were living in Crete. And Crete was a very wild place, right? Where truth was cheap and everyone just did what they wanted. Here's a group wanting to pursue what is right, what is good, what is pure, I love God, but they very much added rules after rules after rules, very disciplined, very strict, very focused on God, and they added rules after rules after rules. See that verse 10, where by their own efforts, they were made pure. They were different to everyone else. You know, this teaching is very common nowadays. Particularly if you're a Christian and you've grown up in a very wild upbringing, or a situation family that didn't really care about the rules, and you meet Jesus, and you fall in love with him. But then, bit by bit, you get down the religious path, where it's all about what you do, and you become very disciplined, and you focus, and you want to uphold God's holiness, but you're all focusing about the commands that you have to do, and that you notice what other people aren't doing. Or, for example, the Christian who becomes a Christian says, wow, how did I not hear about this Jesus? I didn't know about it. But then all of a sudden gets bored with the gospel. Makes, well, I didn't know about Jesus. What else do I not know about? And becomes obsessed with conspiracy theories or things that are out there and weather balloons, right? It is a dangerous thing. It is a common thing that's going around. The other message is found in verse 12. Very different to this one. Verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets had said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true, verse 13. Now, you might think, well, you know, it's Paul being a bit racist there, right? You know, he's not validating this quote. It's not like he spent some time in Crete and be like, I've, my wallet's been stolen, no one's going to be in the right directions, right? No, no, no. He's not validating. They didn't have footnotes in this day. He's just emphasizing the fact that Epidemes, a Greek philosopher, has said this, right? It's, it's a true statement. But the danger of this message that was going around is very different. It's, we are who we are. We're Cretans. We're lazy, we're liars, we're evil. Sort of a fatalistic approach. We are who we are. And the Christian Cretans who are listening to this, and they look at their own behavior and say, well, how am I going to change? I can't. It's impossible. If you've gone up in a legalistic, rules-based family or church, 
it's so easy to overreact and say, well, God is love and who cares what you do? To go way too far. I say, well, Jesus is my saviour. Well, I just got to be true to myself. I'm a, I'm a Sydney cider, right? Sydney ciders do what they want. We just follow our hearts. You know, how, how can we control ourselves? No, 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 I've got to do what I want. Follow my instincts. And believe a message is not true. Two very different messages going around. One is very rule-based, religious-based. One is very secular, anti-rules. But you know, the heart of it is the same. It echoes Satan's words back in the garden. Don't trust yourself. Oh, sorry, don't trust God. Trust yourself. And that message is very enticing and it's everywhere in different shapes or forms. Don't trust God. Trust yourself. But why is it everywhere? Why is it everywhere? This is the second point. Verses, what is it, 15 to 16, present a theological truth that is often overlooked and forgotten. So let's just spend a little bit of time unpacking it. Verse 15 says this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You know, we often think, well, people are essentially good, with good ideas and good intentions, and it's just sin, sort of like this abnormal thing on the side. But you notice the word that is used twice in those verses? Corrupted, broken, disordered. Uh, that humans are corrupted and it's holistic. You notice the mind, our thinking is corrupted. Our conscience, our moral compass is corrupted. Even our actions, our behavior, verse 16, that's corrupted. It's what theologians call total depravity. We're humans in a totally, in every way, broken, corrupted. You know, when Adam and Eve first ate that fruit and disobeyed God, our spiritual DNA was changed forever. And just like you inherited a whole bunch of genetics from your parents, right? Whether you like it or not, someone said, I open my mouth and my mother comes out, right? You just, you can't help it. You've inherited a whole bunch of sinful dispositions from your first parents, Adam and Eve. You know, we say people are essentially good. The Bible doesn't hold that view. And functionally, neither do you. I presume you have passwords on all your accounts, PIN numbers, insurance policies, security, fences, locks on your door. I presume no one had to teach you how to lie or be rude, and yet you're quite good at it. We live with the presumption that people are corrupted every day of our life. Now, total depravity doesn't mean the total inability to do good, right? It does say unfit for doing anything good. But it's like humans, we, we are creating a beautiful cake, all of us, in different ways. We're just doing it with dirty hands. Which means we shouldn't be surprised when we come up with teachings or ideas, or ways of understanding the world. It sounds good, but we're doing it still with dirty hands. Every attempt to find meaning, truth, there will be an element of falseness to that. Every attempt to, to create meaning and, and, and purpose, th there will be an emptiness to that. Every time ideas come, there will be a brokenness to that because we are broken, corrupt people. So where's the hope? I remember being in year 12 camp and uh, we went out to Burke 
out into uh, the countryside, and it was great. And uh, one of the highlights of Burke Camp uh, was we went to a farm, and there was this massive mud pit, size of this room, right? Huge. And we just jumped in, touched footy, played all sorts of survivor games, and it was like hours of just being in this mud. And by the end of it, we were covered head to toe in mud as a year group. Now, the way in which we were going to get clean had to come from outside, right? If I went to my mate Jeff and said, well, I'm going to clean you off, I could try it, but I'm just going to put mud on him. And if he tried to clean me, he's going to put mud on me, right? None of us were going to get rid of this mud at the end of the day. It had to come from outside, and there was a teacher with a hose washing us all down, right? When it comes to our problem, we are not the solution. Because we have dirty hands, we are covered in mud. The solution has to come from outside of us. And Jesus Christ is that pure one. The one who is not us, and yet comes to us. The one who is like us, and yet not like us. Born of a virgin who came into this world and when presented with the lies of Satan, he completely and every time resisted him and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. In a world of misinformation, truth has come to find us. That's the only hope. But here's the problem with religion, right? Religion sees that and says, well, I need to do something in order for that to be true for me, for God to love me, to bring that to my life. But the problem with religion, we're just all doing things with dirty hands, right? Trying to make our way into God's good books. It's not going to work. Nothing you do will work. That is why there is only one word that will. Faith. Trust. You see that verse 15. It's not like Christians are not corrupted. Anyone else is. No, no, no. We're corrupted, right? But verse 15 says, But those who are corrupted and do not believe... The antidote for all humans is faith, trusting in someone outside of ourselves. See, for us Christians, we are like everyone here, the human. We are corrupted. And yet it is by faith that we receive a cleansing from our sin, made by the precious blood of Jesus. It is by faith that we are made pure, washing through Christ's righteousness. It is by faith that the Spirit comes into us, bringing us new life, so that we're born again. And when that happens, that is the great reversal of Adam and Eve. Where rather than trusting in self, no, 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 there's a distrust of self and a trusting in God. Rather resting in the actions that I do, no, no, there's a resting in the actions that God has done. That is the gospel. That is the news you will not find anywhere else. And yet it is the news that Satan will go to great lengths for you to question even just a smidgen of it. So going back to don't trust God, trust yourself. And so you will hear messages again and again that will get you to question that, and even in our corruptness, we will believe it, and we will need to come back, reset. What is this good news? What is this news outside of us that has come? How is it that I'm saved? It's not by what I do, it is by faith. And so we do not want to be naive. As Jesus said in Mark 13, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. This is why we need to be discerning. So let me give you six things to help you to be discerning. FYI, the first one is a lot longer than the last five, right? Just a heads up. You think you've, you know, I know you've got parking to attend to. So this is the first one. Six things. The first one is this. Know who to silence 
and who to love. You'll notice there the command from Paul to Titus is to, when it comes to falsehood, is rebuke, verse 13. Or verse 11, they must be silenced. Now, that is very strong language, isn't it? Now, it's not unique to Christianity. I mean, those on the left are always wanting to silence those on the right, and those on the right are always wanting to silence those on the left, right? Cancel culture. But why? Because their message is damaging. That's what they believe. But this is, it may seem harsh, but it's strong medicine that is needed. Why? Verse 13. For their good, so that they will be sound in faith. I mean, when a surgeon is dealing with someone with melanoma cancer, right, they're not just going to put a Band-Aid over it or sort of brush it away. No, no, no. They need to cut deep, cause pain for their own good. Otherwise, it'll spread. And the warning here is verse 11. Because they're disrupting whole households. It is getting into families grandparents, children, are getting to families and spreading. But here's a very important thing, friends. Notice when it comes to those in the household, they're treated differently, spoken about differently, to those who are spreading the message. There is a difference between the preacher and the believer. There is a stark difference between the teacher of false teaching and the receiver of it, right? And this is why we need to remember who to silence and who to love. Let me give you two examples. At work, there's a Jehovah Witness. And you're in morning tea, you're having a conversation, and you find out they're a Jehovah Witness, right? You're getting to know them. In that point, do you think, hey, you're a Jehovah Witness? Rebuke, right? You go, zip, zip your mouth. Do you do that? No. I don't think so. Because we, they are someone who has received false teaching, right? There's someone who's received in that household. And so you do what you do with anyone else. You listen, you love, you care, and you point them to Jesus. But if someone comes knocking at your door as Jehovah's Witness, or comes coming into your life with a gender, then it is a different story. Because they believe, yes, in Jesus, but that he was not God and an angel, created. And they have twisted and changed, literally changed part of the Bible to suit that message. And so interacting with someone who's coming to, with an agenda into your life, coming to teach what is false, the response is you are dishonouring Jesus Christ and leading people astray, and it may just mean closing that door. That may be the rebuke you need. There is a difference between those who receive and those who teach. Another example, uh, transgender ideology. Often people get fused with someone who's, who is transgender, experiencing gender dysphoria, and transgender ideology. They are not the same. Someone can be transgender and not for transgender ideology, and someone can be for transgender ideology and not transgender. Right? We need to distinguish. If someone is experiencing gender dysphoria, if you've ever talked to someone in this or, or heard of anyone's experience, it is deep struggle and deep pain, and we show love and compassion. But someone who's promoting an ideology that the body is bad, right? It's corrupt, it cannot be trusted, but the mind can be trusted and superior. That ideology is profoundly harmful because if that is true, you will do things to this body that will devastate it because it's bad. But as God says, you know, our body and our mind is broken, right? But it is not inherently bad. God is for bodies. He came bodily to redeem your bodies. But that's why we mustn't confuse the two, right? 
when we apply our critique on the theology onto someone who's experiencing gender dysphoria, that is, we should not do that. And yet, likewise, we shouldn't go gently on ideology that is actually harmful. There is a distinction. We show compassion on the households who've been fed lies, but when it comes to those who teach a different story, there is rebuke. Discernment, friends, is knowing who to silence and who to love. That's the first thing. Let's go quickly to the other five. Number two, being discerning. A little bit of Christianity is a dangerous thing. I remember being at college and uh, I was in a sort of like an assignment group with um, four other pe- uh, three other people. And in this group, there was Eric. And Eric came to the group once and his back was really stuffed up, right? And something had happened. And there was Mike, right? And Mike said, well, Eric, I've trained as a bit of a physio. Maybe I can help you. He did six months of the course, right? Not much. He said, well, I can help you. So Eric just lay down. So he got him down he said, and he started laying into his back. And you could see Eric on the floor just being like, ah, ah, like it was not going well, right? And then eventually be like, uh, Mike, I think you should stop. And so he did. And Eric, I just remember him walking down the street, right, hobbling, trying to find a real physio. I realized that meant a little bit of information is a dangerous thing, right, because it gets to your head. A little bit of Christianity can be a dangerous thing. They may use Christian language. False teaching come in life and say, well, they love Jesus. They're doing signs and wonders. But do not be fooled, friends. What is verse 16? They claim to know God. Well, they claim to know God, surely. Surely this must be the truth. But does God know them? Does God recognize the gospel that they are speaking about? Maybe they say, yeah, but, but they're using the Bible. Satan used the Bible to try and tempt Jesus. A little bit of Christianity can be a dangerous thing. Don't naively think, well, it's fine. Third thing, we are always playing spot the difference. You know that cartoon thing, your kids, you know, there's two things and what's the difference between these two things and you're trying to work it out, there's six of them. We are playing spot the difference all the time because false teachers, false ideas will present ideas that contradict or add to what the Bible is saying, often in subtle ways. I mean, that's why I hope your Bible is open. You are comparing what I'm saying with the word and spotting the difference, right? Actually, there is none, but that needs to be our happen. We are always comparing what the message is saying to what the message is. As Charles Spurgeon said, we are discerning what is right and what is almost right. Number four, look for warning signs. As it says, verse 11, false teachers are often motivated by dishonest gain. Some of the warning signs, maybe they're building their own platform, increasing their own wealth. They're focused on self-gratification, self-improvement. They're focused on, used to be the gospel, and somehow it's more about them, more about self-help than the gospel of Lord Jesus. These are warning signs. Number five, don't discern alone. You know, Eve, Satan targeted Eve when she was by herself. I mean, Adam was there in the background, but he went for her. Satan, when did he go for Jesus? When he was alone in the desert. False teaching thrives in isolation when you're cut off community. That's why the online world, Satan loves it, because it's cutting people off from human interaction. You know, when you're reading something, listening to a preacher, consuming some content on YouTube, whatever it may be, the question does this sound right? And don't, is this biblically accurate? 
And don't ask that question by yourself. You know, some people who are Christians are what they call spiritual beagles, right? There are some people here who are spiritual beagles. And what I mean by a spiritual beagle is they're, just, they're very good at sniffing out heresy, right? They're very good at working out what is true and what is not true. And you know who they are, right? Because you find them a little bit annoying. Every one of us needs a spiritual beagle in our life, right? Where you're reading something, you're listening to something, you think, hey, could you just have a look at this? Yeah, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm lovely listening to this preacher. I love listening to these books. Can you just have a look at this and tell me what you think? Now, that's not, that's not going to be easy, right? Because you do find this person annoying. But particularly for someone who's all about love and unity and, and you fear the best in people, right? We all need a spiritual beagle in our life. We need to do this together. And if you are a spiritual beagle, you need others too. Because not every Christian leader is, who is wrong is a wolf. Number six, we are all in the ministry of rebuke. Now, let's face it. Very few of us will actually publicly say to a false teacher, shut up, shush, stop speaking. In my ministry as a pastor, I've done it a couple of times, right? But that's more as a pastor than as a Christian. But the podcasts we listen to, the books that we consume, the social media that comes into us, we are still in the ministry of rebuke, and it may be switching that off. If you're a parent, it is controlling what comes into your household and stewing that well. Now, it may, that will be profoundly because sometimes it feels good, but in the end, it is fairy floss. It may resonate half the time, but if it's half right, then you're consuming things that are half wrong. And in the end, friends, it is better to cut it off than to consume something that does not lead you to Christ and what is good. It's better to cut it off than continue to consume something that hinders gospel change in your life. As D.L. Moody says, you know, when a ship is in the water, sailing is a beautiful thing. But when the water is in the ship, it sinks. And when Christians are in the world, it is great. But when the world is in Christians, they sink. The sermon is knowing and seeing leaks starting to form in your Christian life and doing something about it. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we are a people that are corrupted. We are broken. Our, our morals, our conscience, our behavior is all out of whack. And so we naturally draw to things that are corrupted. But we thank you that you did not leave us, Lord Jesus, in that state. You came into this world. And it is by faith that we can be made pure. Know the truth. Live the truth. But we do pray, Lord, knowing that you have not come for that second time. Where everything will be made right. And so we live in this era knowing that, as you said, you warned us, Lord Jesus, there will be false teaching, false messiahs in all shapes and forms. So we pray that we would not be a naive people, but discerning. Discerning of our own hearts. Discerning of what we listen to. And then we go back to that good news, your word, that you have spoken truth to your word. And that we would be people who live out your word and live for you, Lord Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen.